it is good to be with you. I, I hope you feel that way, that it is good to be here together on Sunday mornings. <sighs> Expositional preaching. Not everybody's favorite, not everybody's least favorite, but it's what uh, I am gifted to do, and I try to do it with excellence. Expositional preaching is about taking Scripture and just working through it, line by line, verse by verse, taking the whole structure and looking at the whole thing and trying to discern what God is telling us by understanding what He told the original author's the original audience, and then discerning what that means for us today. And that means preaching with continuity. And I have been preaching with continuity, I hope, through the book of Luke. And last week, uh, the Lord spun us off in a different direction just for a week, and I, I have to be listening to the Lord, too, for those kind of things. This week, we're back in Luke, and I... It's always interesting to me how the Lord works as you and as we just go through Scripture. Today is one of those days when the, the, the really advantages of expositional preaching become clear. I hope you will open your mind and your heart to the Word of God this morning. And I hope you will ask vital questions of Scripture. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we open your word today, it is with expectation. I, I just, I pray, Lord, that we would not think about going to your word as, oh, another, another message in Luke. Oh, are we ever going to get done with this? Lord, may it not be so. May we, may we come expecting to hear from you. May, may, may our hearts be prepared, our minds open, and may we, may we listen as we sit at your feet. God, may your word shine brightly. And if there's any way that I can decrease, may it be so. May I decrease so that you may increase, so that your word may shine. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Repetition is not something most people like very much. Repetition is not something most people like very much. I was going to do it three times, but you got it on the second one. Repetition, by the way, is an extremely powerful teacher. For those of you in education, you know saying things one time probably isn't enough. And for those of you that have blessed or possibly been cursed by homeschooling your children, you probably know that repetition is required. Or you might as well just throw your hands up and quit. Repetition is important. Now, I want to show you something in Luke chapter 14 today that has become clear to me. Remember, I was planning on preaching this last week until the Lord said, not this week, you need to do the, the seven L's of husband hunting. You remember that? 
so this, this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 14, has kind of just been marinating for the past couple weeks with me. And I'm kind of surprised at where this has landed. I hope you will be surprised and encouraged as well. Now, instead of starting in Luke 14 today, like I often do when we do preaching, uh, expositional preaching, I, I want to read three other passages that come before Luke chapter 14. And we've already covered these in previous sermons the past number of months, but I think it's worth reading them again so that you can grasp what Luke 14 has for us. So I want you to start by turning to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 31 through 34. Then he, this is Jesus, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to preach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's the first passage. Now turn to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And now turn to Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Luke 13, starting in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what has bound her. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Anybody want to take a guess? What is in common in those three passages? Healing miracles on the Sabbath, healing and miracles on the Sabbath. They all happened on the Sabbath. 
Now, let's take a look at our passage today. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. One Sabbath... That was a dramatic pause. Did you get that? One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man... He healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and county, country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, that's 24 verses of Scripture, and there's a lot in there. I'm not going to be able to look at every little piece of that, but I think there's a whole bunch in here that is going to be helpful. Okay, go back to, chap- to Luke 14 and look at verse 1. 
One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So, this miracle happens on the Sabbath. And it should sound familiar to you since I just rattled off a whole bunch of the same type of passages, right? It turns out there are seven recorded miracles of Jesus that happened on the Sabbath. Five of those seven are in Luke. I just read them to you. Five of the seven are in Luke. Do you get the feeling Luke might be trying to tell us something? Repetition. Here's the big idea that I'd like you to get today. We have just spent the last um, number of weeks, in fact, it was January 9th when I first talked to you or preached to you or delivered a message on Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. That's the, the story of the woman with the back problem who was in the synagogue. Do you remember that story? And I talked about what if you would have been there, how that would have looked. It, it was a, it's a powerful story. It's, it's meaningful. Then on January 30th, I, we, we continue with Luke chapter 13, but only verses 18 through 21. That was the message about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You remember that? The little things we do grow into huge things in the kingdom. Those little things that you maybe think nobody else knows about, they seem so insignificant. It's like just, just when you're in Walmart, just try smiling at someone when they go by you. Just try it. Just see what happens. Do you understand that moves the kingdom of God just a little bit? And when that just a little bit happens with all of us, it becomes an unstoppable wave. And then February 6th, we talked about Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 35, which is enter through the narrow door. Many will perish who thought they would be saved. Remember that? That was the last three sermons that I preached in Luke. They were all from chapter 13. Powerful message. Really important for Christians to understand this. And then you get to Luke 14. And here's what I have realized as I have marinated on this for the past two weeks. Luke 14 is a copy of Luke 13. Like, if you want to talk about, like, like it is a parallel copy. It's the same three things said again. Why would Luke do that? The messages that we learn from Jesus in Luke 13 are restated and emphasized in a new way in Luke 14. Now, you don't see this, and, and I didn't realize this until I was forced to prepare messages for expositional preaching. Because you know what we usually do and what many of you have been trained to do over decades in a church? Listen to little bits and pieces of Scripture that kind of come at you each week. And so you miss the fact that Luke 14 and Luke 13 are like carbon copies of each other. You only get this when you read through it carefully. This is why I've said this for years, and you always think I'm crazy when I say this, but every so often as part of your your relationship-building moment with God, we call that daily devotionals, okay? That that relationship-building moment with God Every so often, you should take a book of Scripture and just read the whole thing in one sitting. Well, I can't possibly do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You know, the, the, one of the longest books of Scripture, if not the longest by just word count, is Jeremiah. Do you know it is possible to just read Jeremiah straight through? 
in about the time it takes to watch the Super Bowl. Were you able to watch the Super Bowl? Straight through? (laughs) No, it was horrible. I think most Americans could probably say I could sit and watch the Super Bowl straight through. Right? It's entertaining. Interesting ads, good game. The longest book in Scripture takes about that long to read straight through. Is there some reason you're not doing that? What's the reason? Somebody want to... What's the reason you're not doing that? Anybody? I'm being a little bit facetious. But you see, it's doable. And now you're hearing a pastor say, you need to do that sometimes. Take a book of Scripture and just read it straight through. Because when you read it straight through... God speaks to you in different ways than when you just read little snippets. Now, I, I know we've got the Our Daily Bread thing. I know that. I'm not saying that's bad, okay? We supply the Our Daily Bread for you. But the Our Daily Bread is like little, little bits and pieces all disconnected. It's good along with doing other things that are good. Do you see that? So, just a little aside there. Luke 14 is a repetition of Luke 13. Now, I want to to just break this down very quickly. Like I said, we can't go through all of it because it's too long for one message. But take a look at Luke 14, and now we're going to read again verses 2 through 4. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. All right, just real quick. What is dropsy? <laughs> it, 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 so some of you nurses might know this. Um, let's see if, if, you, if you got this in your brain. Let me make sure. If I'm wrong, somebody say I'm wrong, okay? But according to the reading I've done, dropsy is when you retain fluid. So dropsy is like a word that has gotten used for, and now we have like more technical words for that, like congestive heart failure. It's like another, it's like a common today word for that. Nurses are looking, I'm making sure. I, got, I asked my nurse that I have, my resident nurse, and she said edema, which I'm like, edema? That sounds like a music, no, that's Adele, sorry. Okay, so uh, it, it, it's the swelling of your, of, it's retaining fluid. Like it starts in your feet and like sometimes, if your heart doesn't work right, right, you, you get water that builds up. And it starts with your feet, and your feet get huge, and so you're supposed to put your feet up, and hopefully that works. But if your heart's really weak, then it just keeps building. And eventually, we've got LASIX today, right? What about people before LASIX? Right? Nurses? Imagine how painful it is to retain a whole bunch of water. There's nothing you can do about it. Hey, this person with dropsy was suffering. It doesn't feel good to retain fluid, does it? It hurts because your skin's all like swelled up. It hurts. Congestive heart failure. Dropsy. Now, what I want you to notice here is that it's, it's kind of, it's easy to skip over this, but I want you to look at this and, and, and see almost no time at all is spent on the guy that had dropsy. Basically, there's a guy, he had dropsy, Jesus healed him. Now let's talk about other stuff. I mean, the, it's, it's, that's it. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. All we know about this guy is he had dropsy and Jesus healed him. 
That's it. So the focus of this healing miracle is not on the actual condition that's been healed. It's on the response of the people around. So, I, I like what Jesus says next. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. Then he asked them, so he healed the guy, sent him away. Then Remember, this is at a dinner party, so keep that in mind. This is not in a synagogue. This is like a private party. So some guy that was all swilled up, like, just showed up, right? I mean, that's what happened. Some guy that was just swilled up just showed up at the party. And can you, can you imagine this group of Pharisees? Who invited the guy that with all the swelling problem? Did you invite him? I didn't invite him. Did you invite him? I didn't invite him. Well, he probably just showed up. Yeah, servant, could you... Could you ask the weirdly swollen guy to not be here right now? I'd like, could you? Oh, wait, Jesus is saying something. What's, what's he Could Just a second, hold on. Jesus, we don't want the swollen guy. Just let. Oh, he healed him. Never mind. Ooh, that's a tough question. Shh. Don't, don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. Can, can you, are you there? Like, that's what's happening. Like, Jesus is at a private house. He's been invited to this party, right, this banquet. And this weird swollen guy shows up, right? I mean, can you see that? And then Jesus, Jesus, like, puts him on the spot. That's what I love. Because, look, then he asked them. Can you imagine Jesus now sitting at the table, looking back at me because he knows I've been talking about this? Right? And now Jesus looks right at me. He looks right at me and looks right at you. Just imagine if you're one of those Pharisees. If one of you had a son or an ox that fell in a well on the Sabbath, what would you do? And this is where the the Pharisees are like, that's totally a trick question. Don't answer it. That's totally a trick question. Do you know why it's a trick question? Because Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments in his question. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Remember, the Ten Commandments are twice in the Old Testament. They're in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Jesus purposely quotes from Deuteronomy here, okay? Because the Exodus part, the Exodus passage about the Sabbath commandment doesn't say ox. It only says animal. But the Deuteronomy says, look at what it says in Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant nor maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey or any other of your animals. Jesus is purposely picking out the word son and ox to see what they'll say about the proper way to observe the Sabbath. Dude, he is in the, he's in with the cobras. These are the, these Pharisees, they are looking, it already said earlier, they are looking for a way to pounce on Jesus. Like he is surrounded by snakes. And Jesus just goes right at him and says, why don't you tell me about the proper way to keep the Sabbath holy. And then, 
He says, if your son fell in a well on the Sabbath. Now, think about it. A well. A well. A well is a hole in the ground with water in the bottom that you can't easily climb up because it's a deep hole. Right? If you fall in the well, you will drown if you don't get out of the well within about 10 minutes. Right? Well, or a little longer if you're really good at treading water. That if you leave the sun in the well until the next day, you'll still be able to pull the sun out. But he'll be dead. Or the ox. I, why does Jesus include the ox? Of course he includes the ox to make sure that they know he's referencing Deuteronomy 5. So he's basically inviting them to explain their added stipulations to this commandment in light of the situation of your son falling in the well. You see, the Pharisees had built this whole extra structure around the law of God. All of these extra things that they added. And the the reason they added those things were probably a good reason. See, they added these things to like create a buffer zone. Because they, they said, we want to make sure we don't have anybody violate this Ten Commandment. So this is what the commandment is. Now we're going to add a buffer zone in front of that commandment to make sure nobody even gets close to breaking the commandment. They add the buffer zone. Right? Part of that buffer zone was they got super, super religious about the buffer zone. You see that? So, and I've said this before, there's all these things that they said you couldn't do on the Sabbath. You can't walk this far, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. All of those things were added on top of the actual commandment of God. Jesus is cutting through that. And by the way, in case you think, well, this was only those darn Pharisees. Do you know we do this all the time? So I'm going to call out some of these. You ready for this one? You're not supposed to use the Lord's name in vain, right? We know that. But even if you say anything close to the Lord's name, that's a punishable offense. So if you say, geez, like I know Christian parents that have punished their children for saying things close to that. Oh, if you don't like that example, let's try this one. Um, If you drink even a drop of alcohol, you're going straight to hell. That is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. I could go, that's a whole other sermon about that. And I'm not promoting alcohol. I'm not promoting drunkenness. Drunkenness is definitely a sin. But when you start saying, if you even drink one drop of alcohol, you're sinning, you are now in the realm of Pharisee. Pharisees are those who add on top of what is there. That is not okay. Now, for many people, there's a really good reason why you shouldn't touch alcohol. If you've got a proclivity to addiction, you shouldn't go there. That is a no-go for you. But that's not true for everybody. And I'm not saying that because that's how I think it should be. Are we going to follow it or not? Which one's it going to be? Which one's it going to be? 
Jesus was very clear. Don't add to what God has said. The Pharisees were silent because they recognized their hypocrisy. That is why they were silent. For them to admit that they would, they would rescue their own son or an ox from a well on the Sabbath would trap them into admitting that the additional stuff that they were telling everybody else to do was full of baloney. <laughs> do you see that? So they didn't say anything. They just remained silent. Now put yourself at the dinner party. Could, go back, go back, sit there. And just imagine this moment that just happened. And then listen to what Jesus says next. Because there's this really uncomfortable silence that must have happened after that, right? So Jesus said, if your son falls in a well on the Sabbath, are you going to rescue him or not? And then, silence. And then listen to what Jesus says next. Following the period of silence. Can you imagine Jesus' gaze going from the eyes of each person, each Pharisee sitting around that table, daring someone to answer? And then, look at what Jesus says next. So he went all the way around looking at everybody, right? Look what's next. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, you bet he noticed, because he just looked them all in the eyes waiting for an answer. Didn't he? He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Now, it's interesting because this passage of Scripture, I've heard people interpret this as, this is just good advice to follow at a dinner. It probably is good advice to follow at a dinner. But man, there is a whole lot more here. Imagine the moment. Like you have to get the moment to understand what Jesus is saying. He had just challenged their entire way of doing religion. He had just challenged their whole structure that they had built their whole lives around and were telling everybody else, you've got to live by that structure. And they looked at all of them, noticed that they were all seated in a certain way, and said, when you come to a banquet, don't take the place of highest honor, take the place of lowest honor. Because if you try to exalt yourself, you will be humbled like I just humbled you now. Your 
wrong in how you have interpreted God's word. Whoa. You want to be you want to be somebody? Humbleness is the route, not exaltation. The Pharisees were trying to display their piety in front of God and everyone by the way that they took pride in their Sabbath observance. They wanted to show everyone how religious they were. You know, this week I heard a strange phrase. I hear this phrase every so often. This week I heard it twice. Uh, one, of the, one of the phrases I heard was in an email, um, but it's, it's like, this is the phrase. Uh, I need to go to religion. Or, we can't have that meeting on Wednesday because of religion. You ever heard that? You ever heard people talk about that like that? I have to go to religion. I find it interesting, in light of what Jesus is saying in this passage, to talk about our faith like that. Consider how strange that language is of calling this thing religion at that dinner party. Jesus was making a point of saying, religion is not what you're supposed to be doing. Religion is not the goal. Looking good is not the goal. Looking good in front of people, even looking good in front of God, is not the point. No, 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 no. Our faith in Jesus is not about looking good in front of people or looking good in front of God. And now compare this, compare this with the same parallel in Luke 13. Because this part of Jesus' parable about the dinner party and about humbleness versus exaltation, it parallels with Luke 13, which is, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Do you hear it? The kingdom of God is about humbleness. It's about small things. It's about small beginnings. It's about that small understanding of every decision you make, every choice, every day, every word you speak to every person comes underneath the idea of, is Jesus my king? And those little decisions... Those little ways that we interact with everyone around us, if underneath the subjection of Jesus Christ, in our humbleness, we recognize that all that we do must come underneath the kingship of Jesus Christ. Do you see the parallel? The parallel between these two passages. The kingdom of God is all of those things that we do underneath the headship of Jesus Christ. You know what the kingdom of God is not? I'll show you what it's not. Ready? My name's Pastor, I'm sorry, my name's Reverend Jason Canole, uh, MDiv. Uh, I went to seminary for four years, and uh, I am uh, really a pretty good preacher. My congregation... It's pretty big, pretty large. And I have to tell you that um, if we're going to do something 
um, in this community, I better be on the phone list. If the school wants to do something, they better check and make sure it's okay with me. All right? Because this is, this is a pretty big deal. This here is a pretty big deal. I'm a pretty big deal. Straight to hell. (laughs) No, no. If you think that that's who I am, I have led you terribly astray. And I'm sorry. If you are, if if you bring like an understanding of that's what a pastor is supposed to be, you're in the wrong church. I am, I am really trying not to be that way. I don't want to be that way. I'm, I'm a guy like you. I, I want to be humble because it's the way Christ told us to be. I'm not smarter than you. I'm not a better Christian than you. I'm trying to follow Jesus in every thought. I'm trying to take captive to Christ. And I want to encourage you to do the same. And when you've got stuff going on that's like really hard, here's what I want you to do. I I want you to to look at me as I point you to Jesus. See that? You know what I don't want you to do? Come to me, I've got lots of answers. I could really help you in that difficult situation you're in because I am smart. False. By the way, if you think you can't help people, you're right. You can't. But you can point them to Jesus. That's what you can do. All these pretensions that get set up around what is religion are false. Please don't ever say you're going to religion. (laughs) I don't think you usually say that. But if you think that coming here is going to a religion, we've done something horribly wrong. Like, we are here together to worship Jesus Christ, like as brothers and sisters. To try to encourage one another by pointing each other to Jesus, not because we've got answers, not because we know everything there is to know, but because we know where the answers are. And I will try to do my best to help show you what I've picked up along the way. Because here's the thing about the rest of this passage. The rest of this passage parallels the passage in Luke 13. There's a whole bunch of people that think they're on the narrow road that aren't. There's a whole bunch of people that got the invitation to the party and think they're going to get a place at the table, but don't. Do you know who gets a place at the table? The poor, the crippled, the oppressed. Could I, could I use a different word there? You know who gets a place at the table? The humble. You know, I hope that I am the kind of pastor that if, you, if I say something that you're like, I don't think that's right. Let's talk about it together. Let, let's, let's look at the word together. Maybe I'm wrong. 
maybe I've read something wrong, and, and we, need to, we need to look at that. I hope that I'm not the kind of pastor that is unapproachable. I don't desire to be unapproachable. I desire that if you want to just come and talk to me, let's talk. Let's reason together. Let's seek reconciliation together. Let's follow Jesus and love each other. I think it's worth striving for. Because we're in this together, y'all. This isn't about being hoity-toity. It's about being humble. My desire, first of all, is that I have a place at that table someday. <laughs> it seems like a good thing to want, right? I also have a desire that you would be there with me. Let's be humble together in this thing called following Jesus. I would love that very, very much. Lord God, show us how to be humble together. Well, you did. In fact, not only did you show us in your word, but then you decided through the inspiration of the Spirit and the pen of Luke You decided it was important enough to say it twice. This isn't about adding stuff to your word. This is about following you. It's about a humbleness that recognizes you are God and we are not. A humbleness that recognizes that we're in this together. A humbleness that recognizes that On this side of things, it's like looking at a mirror darkly, if I could quote another passage. God, could we have patience with each other again? Because we are humble at your feet. Help us, Lord, to live up to the high calling of being humble at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.